just gave him the $20 and I went on about my, oh shit. Hey, hello, welcome to the Biology Podcast. I'm Austin, aka G.I. Joe, and I'm here with Ryan, aka Satan's fucking servant! <laughs> you probably didn't understand what he just said because he yelled it so loud. It's just like straight all the way across, loud as fuck. <laughs> and I hope you guys are doing good today. Hopefully you checked out some of the backlog these past few weeks. And make sure to give us a five-star rating, because it'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah, any five-star rating that goes out obviously helps push us closer to the top of the charts. It helps people find us. On top of that, not only do your five-star ratings benefit us, but if you leave us a positive review, even if you don't leave us a positive review, even if your review is that Austin sounds like he could take both balls in each cheek at any given time, that's still a review. People see the reviews. They say, hey, people are listening to this. If you want to put out a five-star rating and a review that says, like, Ryan sounds like he's 100% been elbow deep in a cow, I mean, fuck it. Nobody knows. <laughs> if you drop a rating this week and it has something about Ryan fisting a cow's asshole, we will give you a shout-out on next week's podcast. We fucking 100% <laughs> will. Oh, and this week we're talking about the one, the only, the Night Stalker. And it's going to be a really fun episode. It is going to be a really fun episode because, like, if you're a Patreon member and you get the unedited copies of all of these, you'll understand that, you know, we just actually had a full conversation about the fact that what sets Richard Ramirez apart from almost every other serial killer is that this guy had, like, a genuine belief system. That was driving him to his murders. It wasn't like a just, hey, I'm fucked up. I feel like fucking killing and eating somebody. Like, there was actual, like, faith that went in on the back end of this. The only person that even comes close is probably Berkowitz, right? Who believed that his neighbor's dog was communicating orders from God to him to kill. Ramirez is kind of the opposite of that, right? He's yeah. on the other side of the spectrum. Instead of God telling him to kill, it was Satan. But before we get started on that, I got a story of the week from for everybody listening. And it actually comes from near where me and Ryan live, from Simpsonville, South Carolina. Ooh. Which is what, 30 minutes away? Yeah, probably. The Simpsonville Police Department said a drunk... Or drunk driver operating a stolen floor. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsonville Police Department said a drunk driver operating a stolen forklift led uh, officers on a slow chase through Simpsonville on Saturday night. This just happened last Saturday. Hell yeah. Officers said they initially responded to uh, Lowe's home improvement on Grandview Drive after the suspect allegedly drove off with a forklift parked at a store. Soon after the officers found the suspect driving the forklift on Fairview Road, he attempted to pull him over. However, they said he refused to stop. One of the officers then sped ahead, parked his car, and began running beside the forklift, telling the suspect to stop. Eventually, another officer forced the suspect to stop by driving ahead of the forklift and parking his vehicle in the way. According to the police officers, the suspect was placed in handcuffs, and it became apparent that he was very intoxicated. He explained to the officers that he had only borrowed the forklift because the keys were left in the ignition, according to the incident report. The suspect, Devon Christopher Paulus, was taken into was taken into custody, charged with grand theft larceny, public intoxication, and strong arm robbery. He is currently being held at Greenville County Detention Center. And the reason the police got caught on him at first is because he drove it on Interstate 385. Could you imagine coming home from work on the interstate and you just see a fucking Fort Lewis driving down the fucking interstate? Dude, I don't know what the fuck I would do if I was driving down like 85 and just saw like a forklift. Like, especially like, let's assume far left lane, right? Far left lane, just fucking electric or, or propane forklift. Just fucking barreling, man. Like, just at max speed. Everyone's honking. Fucking swerving to get out of the way. This motherfucker's, like, turning the forks to try and fuck with people as they're driving by. Like, I'd be like, not all heroes wear capes, man. Not all heroes wear capes. The dude is actually from Ohio. Well, which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It, he was either going to be from Ohio or Florida. Let's be, let's be 
Or California. We'll throw that in there, too. No, Californians, they don't... They keep their crazy self-contained to California, right? You never hear about, like, oh, a a random dude in Boston was caught masturbating in an aquarium and turns out he's from California. No, you hear random man caught in Boston masturbating in an aquarium from Florida or from Ohio. So, you know, we got to at least give California their credit for that. They yeah. keep their shit contained to California. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm so, that leaves me speechless, man. Like, like, just imagine being drunk as fuck on the Fort Lift and the police are chasing you. You're just sitting there going, you can't be going no more than 10 miles an hour. I'm not stopping, officer. I'm not stopping. You don't understand. They told me I had to get that truck unloaded, but the fucking truck's in fucking orangeburg so i'm going to orangeburg (laughs) (laughs) i locked my keys in my car i'm just trying to get home man i'm just trying to get home i had a buddy of mine that his uncle got arrested for a dui taking his fucking john deere on the interstate trying to get home (laughs) well that brings us back to a few weeks ago whenever you brought up the fact that you can't get a dui on a horse you cannot get a dui on a horse it is not a motor vehicle. It doesn't have wheels. Even though you should be able to get a DUI on a horse because it's still a two-ton fucking creature that could do a lot of goddamn damage. Yeah. I would... You should get a fucking DUI on a horse long before you get a DUI on a bicycle or a skateboard or any of that shit. And I know someone that got a DUI on a skateboard. You know why? Four wheels. It's got four wheels. Okay, I got a I got a serious question. Can you get a DUI on a sailboat? No, no wheels. But you can get a uh, maritime DUI. You can get a maritime DUI if it's over a certain weight. I forget what the weight is, but it's like you get you can get a maritime DUI if it's got an outbound outboard motor or inboard uh, inboard motor, right? But if you're on a sailboat, you can't get a DUI unless it's over a certain weight. If it's got enough mass. To be able to actually do like structural damage to like docks, piers, whatever, then you can get a maritime DUI in a sailboat. Well, if you can do that, then why the fuck not on a horse? That don't make any damn sense to me. I mean, I don't know. All right. Well, anyways, we'll kick this one off. This week, we're talking about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. It's a really big serial killer that I'm sure pretty much everyone on the listen to this podcast has heard of him before. I guess we'll get the basis out of the way. He was born February 29th, 1960, and he died on June 7th, 2013, in prison, waiting to be executed. Yeah, died of cancer, which was, it's kind of sad because, you know, he believes Satan was protecting him, but I guess Satan didn't protect him from cancer. (laughs) The crazy thing is, he got arrested in, like, what was it, 1989, and he was sitting on death row still in 2013. Like, yeah, he he just narrowly dodged that like brief period where California overturned um, execution laws. Can you still get executed in California now? Uh, you can again now that Jerry Brown's back out. Schwarzenegger kind of got rid of, or Jerry Brown got rid of it. Schwarzenegger carried it on, and then I forget who was between Jerry Brown and Schwarzenegger, right? But it was Jerry Brown, then somebody else. And then fucking Schwarzenegger was like, no, execution's wrong. Because, you know, he's European, right? They don't execute people over there. And then um, whoever the new person is, they brought it back. So one thing, as me and Ryan talked about before the podcast, Ramirez's childhood is really considered to be, like, the main factors for his crimes. Because he was abused by his dad. He witnessed some fucked up shit from... Was it his older cousin or his uncle? Well, it kind of it kind of goes it kind of goes a couple of different directions, right? Like the fact of the matter is is that so Ramirez's father from a very young age had just like an obscene temper. I mean, his temper was just out of this world. Like he was the kind of guy that if he was working on something in the garage and he accidentally bent the nail trying to drive it in, he would destroy the whole fucking garage out of rage, right? But is, that, he never, is that not what we all do, though? Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> it was like, but it was particularly bad, right? Yeah. But it's like he never t- 
touch the kids. He never hurt the kids. He never hurt his wife. He would never take it out on anybody, but he would just freak the fuck out to the point where everybody in the family was scared, right? But he never hurt anyone. And so he got to the point where he was working like such long hours. You know, the economy was kind of going in the toilet in the 70s. Um, And so he's just working, 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 working. And he ended up falling into this kind of like self-destructive loop where the more he was at work, the worse things got at home. The worse things got at home, the worse his depression and his anger got. And so he would spend more time at work so that he wouldn't take it out on his family. And it just, you know, it just turned into this big loop, right? So he was just gone all the time. He was not present in any of the kids' lives. And so Ramirez was honestly a good kid. He was a very good kid. He got good grades. He was well-behaved. He was respectful. Like, he was, I mean, anybody would have wished to have had a child as well-behaved and academically inclined as Ramirez was. His older siblings kind of resented the absence of their father and started turning to just kind of early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, like Hispanic neighborhood hoodlum shit, right? And his older brother ended up getting caught breaking into houses, you know, doing B&Es and shit. And that was kind of the defining thing in Ramirez's life, right? So it then turned into fucking um, their father coming home and damn near beating the older siblings to the point where they had to be hospitalized because they were doing this fucked up shit, but they were only doing this fucked up shit because, you know, obviously the father is not there, right? Yeah. And so they don't have any discipline. The mother is this devout Catholic, will not lay a hand on the fucking children, anything else, and so they're just kind of running wild. And the more aggressive Ramirez's father is getting towards the family, the more and more he's kind of starting to absorb violence as a means to an end, right? He's seeing the fact that his father's quote-unquote, and I'm throwing up big air quotes with my fingers here, corrections of the older siblings' um, activities as something that's like, okay, well, violence solves problems. Yeah, and see, his dad was actually a former police officer in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So he probably saw a lot of fucked up shit down there, too. Yeah, no, his father was very fucked up. but And it's, and it's really sad to think that it's like his father was honestly a good guy. Except that he had a bad temper. But even with having that bad temper, he did what he thought was right to try and save his family from his temper. He genuinely tried to do everything he could to spare his family from the fucked up shit going on with him. Yeah, And unfortunately, it was just, it, it wasn't in the right time, right place, right whatever, to really spare them from what was going on. And kind of dealing with all this, Richard actually began smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol at the age of 10, which that's fairly young. I mean, I think the first time I smoked, I was probably, what, 13, 14 in that time frame. Right. So 10 years old, I, I personally think that's really young. And then as he got a little bit older, around the age of 12, Richard, he was known or he was known to his family as Richie. He was strongly influenced by one of his older cousins, Mike, which was actually a decorated Green Beret. And he had saw a whole lot of combat during his time. And you got to think this is during Vietnam where shit's fucking serious. And we'll just put it this way. His cousin was not a good dude. Like... I remember watching a video and it was talking about how his cousin, Mike, actually showed Richard pictures of some of the Vietnamese women, like, I guess you'd say giving them fellatio, sucking their dick. And then he showed them other pictures where he had cut their heads off after this had happened. And, you know, that's a huge ass war crime. And it just shows it gets worse from there. Like he shouldn't keep showing him pictures like decapitated people, dismembered people. And his cousin really wasn't a good influence on him. And as we'll talk about in a little bit, Richard actually witnessed Mike kill his wife. Yeah. There's a lot of fucked up shit that went on with Mike, right? So Mike was already a gangbanger in LA, right? 
the draft happens, he gets drafted. Because of how proficient he was throughout boot camp in hand-to-hand combat and everything else, having grown up as a gangbanger on the streets of L.A., he ended up getting drafted into the Green Berets. They brought him in as special forces because he was so fucking savage in combat. And so he ends up getting dropped off in Vietnam. Uh, There are multiple occasions where everybody in his squadron got wiped out by Viet Cong soldiers except for him. And he would survive and end up being the sole survivor walking out of the jungle. Like the man ended up coming back from the war with multiple merits, multiple uh, distinguishing awards, medals, everything. Like, as far as people back home were concerned, he was a fucking war hero. You know, I mean, acts of valor out the wazoo of just decimating enemy forces to save his comrades and everything else. But even by his own admission, he didn't do that to save anybody. He did it just out of bloodlust. He just wanted to be part of the carnage. He would decapitate these soldiers and shrink their heads right and turn them into shrunken heads and he would keep them in a fucking sack and sleep on them like a pillow and brought some of them back home with him from the war like this was the most deranged fucked up probably evil human being that might have actually served in the vietnam war but hey he saved a lot of lives on the good guy's side right so fucking war hero so he comes back to l.a fucking war hero right every single person in ramirez's family and the community everything else is just singing this dude's praises and talking about what a stand-up guy he is and what a like a model citizen he is and everything else but then you know in the shadows he's sitting there showing ramirez all of this fucked up shit that he did while he was overseas so again Now you have this child that sees violence as a means to an end because of his father. And then on top of that, he sees this kind of brutality and viciousness as something to be admired. The whole community admires Mike. I should admire Mike. It doesn't matter what he did. Everybody admires him, right? So now this rape, murder, torture, brutality, that's admirable. That's something you should aspire to. In young Ramirez's eyes. And then Mike also taught him like hand-to-hand combat and a lot of the military skills like with being stealthy and being able to stay hidden and stuff like that. So a lot of the stuff that he uses during his killings, he learned from Mike. Absolutely, yeah. Anything that he did as far as like B&Es and everything else and like his later uh, rapes and assaults, it was all taught to him by a professional. And around this time... After as he's hanging out with Mike and learning stuff from him, Richard actually started to sleep because his father's violent temper just got the best of him, and he actually started sleeping in a local cemetery just to get away from his dad. And then a little bit later, you know, he's still been hanging out with Mike, learning some of his military skills and stuff. At the age of thirteen, he witnessed Mike shoot his wife Jessica in the face with a handgun during an argument, and kind of like. The stuff that Mike or that Mike had already showed Richard, it really didn't make it that traumatic to him because he don't have the sense like most people have where it's like, hey, this is a bad thing. He's just kind of used to it at this point. Absolutely. It's 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 getting to a head. So um, Austin, now that we've talked about where his brutality and his viciousness comes from, how do you feel about talking about the multiple, multiple concussions this young man suffered in his youth that very obviously probably contributed to his psychosis later on. Hell, I mean, it, it kind of goes like the whole CTE thing, like with the NFL. Like whenever you get hit in the head just so many fucking times, it's going to fuck your brain up. Absolutely. So, you know, Ramirez gets his first concussion at the age of what, five? From... Was it five? Or, I know he fell down the stairs one time. And yeah, that, I think it was five, right? And he got his first concussion. Then years later, when he was about nine or ten, babysitter was ignoring him. He was trying to get to, uh, honestly, to a um, to some popcorn. That's all he wanted, some fucking popcorn. He was trying to reach it, ended up not being able to get to it properly, and a cabinet 
or a, a dresser fell over on him, gave him another concussion. By the time he reached middle school, he was actually a star athlete, joined the football team, received multiple concussions. But by this time, he'd already developed epilepsy because of his previous concussions. And so you now have a child that has an absentee father, has a degenerate as the only male figure in his life, and is now a star athlete, getting his first accolades, getting his first praise, getting his first, like, really love from anybody for his abilities and everything else. All of a sudden, he starts having these epileptic seizures, and the coach literally cuts him from the team because he didn't want to deal with that. He didn't want to be liable if Ramirez had a seizure on the field. And so now his entire life has just been taken from him. Yeah, and... So with his cousin Mike, he actually ended up pleading or being found not guilty for reason of insanity for killing his wife. And they were saying it was because PTSD from his service in Vietnam. Because like you said, to everybody, he was a well-decorated soldier. Exactly. He was a hero as far as everybody was concerned. And so after the shooting, he moved in with his older sister and her husband, Roberto, was a peeping Tom. So... He would actually take, or he would actually take Richard around and like start peeping on women and stuff. <laughs> so like every male fi- figure, like father figure in his life, is showing him all this shit. Like this isn't something he was born with. He wasn't a bad kid. No, he was a great kid. Honestly, <laughs> it's just he's being exposed to all this. Well, even after Mike was released from the mental hospital, he would sometimes accompany Richard. And Roberto on watching these women and looking through their windows. And by the time he or Richard turned fourteen, he actually started doing LSD a lot. <laughs> I mean, let's let's be honest though, Austin. Let's say me and you are out there peeping as peeping toms, right? Like if we accidentally stumbled on John's mom's window to watch her get undressed, I would start doing a lot of acid too to try and <laughs> sponge that from my memory. So. Yeah. So, and then Mike and him start hanging out again more because, you know, Mike's out of the mental institution. And that's whenever he gets even deeper into drugs and alcohol. And this is kind of the point where Ramirez starts getting into, like, Satanism and the cult and... Yeah, at this point, everything he feels like everything in his life is just going to shit, right? Every male figure that cares about him has basically abandoned him or has or something terrible has happened to them. And the only kind of structure that he's ever really had in his life came from his mother and going to church, right? He was va- raised very devout Catholic. And so Ramirez, for whatever reason, and nobody can determine exactly what the deciding factor was, and even Ramirez never officially admitted, like, okay, this is what did it. He just figured, okay, clearly God has turned his back on me. And so if I have had God turn his back on me, then that means that Satan is the one that's keeping me going is the one that's keeping me alive and everything else so he decides that okay clearly i am no longer one of god's children i am one of satan's children and i will do what i need to to satisfy him because if i die and go to hell without satisfying him then i suffer eternal damnation but if i can at least appease him the one person that's taken interest in me then I can take my, you know, I can take eternity at his side of his army and not just suffer in hell. And having learned military tactics and everything else from his his cousin and everything else, he saw himself as somebody that could potentially be like a general in Satan's army. And so that was then his goal. Everything from that point on was to please Satan so that he could take his side in his army. Yeah, and now Richard Ramirez, he actually dropped out of high school in the ninth grade, and he got a job working for a hotel, and at this time, he was kind of getting into his sexual fantasies with, like, raping and mutilation and, like, BDSM, and 
just shit that's not normal for a child that young to really get into. And while he was still in, before he dropped out, while he was still in school, he started working at the Holiday Inn and he would actually use the key card to go into people's room and start stealing from them being asleep. And also while he worked at this time, this is whenever he started to get bad. He actually molested two children in a hotel elevator, but they say it was never reported to the prosecutors. So he never got in trouble with it, which it could have been stopped right there. Yeah. A lot of the shit could have been prevented. Well, it's just like it's, it's widely believed that his first murder actually took place during this time. And it was that he had taken a nine year old girl down to the basement of this hotel and then raped and murdered her. And then disposed of her body in the trash chute that runs to the dumpsters. But at that time, he wasn't on anybody's radar. And he was still using a lot of the techniques that his cousin had taught him and everything else. So he kind of stayed off the radar for it. But like years and years and years later, DNA evidence kind of pinpointed that to Ramirez. So that may have very well been one of his first murders was this nine-year-old girl that he raped and murdered there. Well, he ended up getting fired from there after Ramirez attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room and was actually caught by the woman's husband. And the husband beat the shit out of Ramirez. And criminal charges were dropped because the couple who was actually from out of state didn't like they didn't show up to the court date in Texas to testify. So that's another case where it could have been stopped. It very easily could have been stopped. Yeah. And like all these other people could have not lost their lives. Around this time is when Ramirez finally says, okay, this, um, I'm dedicated to doing this. I'm feeling this urge now. I'm feeling this urge to rape, murder, and steal, and everything else. I want to satisfy Satan. So he moves to Los Angeles proper and actually takes up residency in, and if anybody out there has listened to some of our previous podcasts, you know, he takes up residency in the... Cecil Hotel. The Cecil Hotel. And he the, he's at the age of 22 at this point. And he's starting to get into cocaine and it's becoming a bad habit. And he is consistently having to break into people's houses to get items and stuff to get money to keep up with his addiction because it's so bad at this point in time. And yeah. this, this is back when cocaine was good. Yeah, this is good <laughs> cocaine. So it's like, and to be completely honest, and this is actually the wildest part, right? Is like you have this unhinged serial killer and rapist out there just running rampant, breaking into people's homes, raping and murdering at will and blah, blah, blah. But he's now trying to break into people's houses and realizing that the cocaine is making it so that it's like his motor skills are kind of shitty. And so he actually gets clean. He gets sober. He decides the cocaine is bad for him and it's preventing him. And this is the craziest part. It's not that it's making him a bad criminal. It's not that it's making him a drug addict. It's not that it's destroying his health. It's not that it's destroying his mind. The cocaine is making it harder for him to do terrible things to people, which is going to make Satan sad. (laughs) And this leads to the first murder that is actually tied back to him now, but it wasn't until 2009. Yeah, so basically a lot of experts feel like him getting sober from the cocaine, he turns to full-blown just murder to kind of subsidize the lack of a dopamine dump that he was getting from the drugs. At the age of 24, he murdered... A girl named Mi Ling, a nine-year-old Chinese-American girl, in the basement of his apartment in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco. Mm, Tenderloin. She was with her eight-year-old brother, and the girl, or I guess Ramirez, pretty much approached the girl and told her to follow him into the basement because he had lost, uh, or that her brother had lost a dollar bill. And he said, oh, we'll go check the basement. Well, he took her to the basement. He beat her strangled her, raped her, and then after all that, he stabbed her to death with a switchblade. And then he ended up leaving her partially naked body hanging from a pipe by her blouse. Yeah, experts believe that it was done as like a religious sacrifice. Multiple police on the scene said it was almost like a crucifixion. And you gotta think, this is his first like official, official murder. Which, at the time, it wasn't even considered him 
Like, this was after he was already in jail on death row that this one was found. Yeah. So, this is before anybody was saying, hey, there's a serial killer in Los Angeles. Yeah, at this point, they were just like, huh, weird fucking whack job on Skid Row. Who would have guessed? And all of his killings happened, all of his rapes and killings happened within a year. I think it was a little, it was like a year and four months, I believe. Yeah, it wasn't very long. He and the the reason was is that he got some fucking bravado, right? Like he genuinely believed that Satan was going to take care of him, that Satan was protecting him, that the powers of hell would prevent the police and everybody else from being able to catch him. And that actually made him very sloppy in the beginning because he genuinely believed that and he didn't actually start getting like clever and trying to like cover his tracks until after he'd already hit the news yeah and that same well i guess most of it's gonna be that same year he actually murdered a 79 year old woman in glassville park in los angeles where she had got stabbed in the head neck and chest while sleeping in her bed her throat was cut so deeply that her head was pretty much cut the fuck off brutal and they found a fingerprint, which at the time you got to think he's not in the system. They found his fingerprint on the mesh of a screen that he had removed to gain access through the window. So this is his second murder, kind of establishing a pattern that he's breaking into houses. And I mean, he's been breaking into shit his whole life, though. So it, that really don't come anything to which the crazy thing is he only killed eight people, but he has like 30 something victims total, like between rapes and burglaries murders everything assault just general assault yeah i mean the dude was <laughs> i mean the dude was fucked up right and you end up running into and if we wanted to go into all the details for every single murder that this guy committed it would take time because yeah. honestly each one of his murders is very unique i mean you have some where he's taking their blood and writing satanic messages on the wall you have some where he's trying to like in, like specifically change up his MO to throw off the police. Like there's just so much that this guy is doing in his murders that is so unique compared to other serial killers. Most serial killers do it as a crime of passion. And so their MO is almost, I mean, identical time after time after time. And Ramirez wasn't. He was doing it methodically he was doing it ritualistically so he could kind of change up what he was doing at will while he was doing it because he was just uh, i mean i don't know of a better way to uh, describe it than just like he's dead inside he doesn't feel compassion for these people he doesn't care if he gets caught he doesn't give a shit about anything that most serial killers give a shit about and so i mean this man literally goes to the store and buys a machete because he was like hey you know what would be cool is if i cut these bitches heads off and leave them in the front yard for the cops to find that's not part of his mo he just thought of that he just genuinely thought hey that would be pretty cool Satan would think that was pretty cool. Yeah, and then on one of the later ones, he attacked, or he actually, I guess, technically attacked three people in one night. Really, I guess he was trying to attack two, but a 22-year-old named Maria Hernandez, she was in her home, and he went to shoot her with a 22, and he kind of just grazed her because it hit, it ricocheted off the keys. And she held her hands as she lifted, like trying to block it or whatever. And he fell on the ground and she just played dead. And her roommate was also in there and she heard the gunshot and went behind the counter to see what was going on. She saw Ramirez there in the kitchen. And when she raised her hands to get a look, he shot her in the fucking forehead. And then third, like within the hour of doing all that shit, he pulled a another woman out of her car and shot her twice with a handgun. Yeah, well, and we haven't mentioned this at this point. Almost every single burglary, rape, or murder that Ramirez committed, he did it in a new stolen vehicle. That was his first thing. Every night he would go out and steal a new car and then go and commit his crimes. So, like, when Austin talks about the woman getting shot in her vehicle for the car... 
that was literally him just being like, oh, time for a new one. Yeah. And now, I know we've only been talking about the killings so far, but there's a lot of rape victims in between here, too. A lot. And, like, there was several instances where, like, he'll go in and he'll shoot the husband and rape the wife or either watch the husband or make the husband watch and then kill the husband. Yeah, and we're talking women in their 20s all the way up into their 70s. Like, it didn't matter. Just whatever house he broke into, hey, there's a lady here. She getting she getting the D, as far as he was concerned. And it's fucking disgusting. The, on top of that, you got to remember this man lived on Skid Row, so God knows how many alcoholics, drug addicts, everything else, living uh, destitute in Skid Row that he raped, murdered, or anything else that never got connected to him because, well, who gives a shit about the homeless population in L.A. in the 80s, right? They don't give a shit. Yeah, and it just gets worse. Like, he breaks into people's houses at 4 in the morning. Like, there's another instance in Sun Valley where he broke into someone's home at 4.15 in the morning. It was the Kavanaugh family, and he shot the husband in the head, killing him. Then he raped the wife. And he tied up the eight-year-old son and drug him around the house to try to get him to tell him where all the valuable items were. And then he ended up demanding the wife swear to Satan, but he let her live. Yeah, and honestly, that will end up being his downfall, is the people that he let live. That's, that is eventually what is his downfall. Yeah, so all these people that he lets live. So, again, like we were talking about, he has a genuine belief system that is going in behind everything that he's doing. And so part of that belief system is is that Satan is directing every one of his actions. So, like with the, the bullet getting deflected off the keys and everything else, right? Like, in his mind, that's Satan saying, okay, this person was destined to live for whatever reason. I have purpose, for this person. So if Ramirez walked into a house and tried to slit somebody's throat or shoot them or do whatever, if they didn't just outright die, he would instinctively just say, oh, Satan wants this person alive for some reason. And so he would just let them be. And what ended up happening is, is that now all of a sudden you have People that are witnesses, that have seen you, that can give descriptions, that can set forth a chain of reactions to make sure that police officials and everybody else can say, okay, this is who we're looking for. Yeah, and we can go on and on about all these murders, but I guess, should we start to get to the downfall where he really fucks up and the reason for him getting caught? Absolutely, because it is honestly one of the most, like, gratifying captures of a serial killer ever. Like, if there was ever a serial killer that got caught, this is the best possible example of this, right? Like, this is one of those where it's like, they should have thrown a fucking parade for these people. Yeah, okay, well, it's kind of too back-to-back, but on August 24th, 1985, he traveled 76 miles south of los angeles in a stolen orange toyota he arrived at the home of james romero jr who they had actually just got back from vacation to a beach in mexico romero's son 13 james romero the third happened to wake up while his family was asleep james went outside of his house to retrieve a pillow that he had left from inside the truck since they were returned from vacation and when he went outside he heard a wrestling noise assuming it was an animal or something he went to investigate it. I mean, hell. When I, yeah. And so he hears the noise. He goes and looks around. And then he didn't notice anything unordinary. So he went into the garage, began to work on his mini bike before hearing Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Thinking there was a prowler, James, after observing Ramirez uh, through his bedroom window, he went to wake up his parents. And Ramirez left the scene and took off. Okay, so basically the kid chased him away. But then after this encounter, Ramirez, he broke into the house of Bill Carnes. Age 30, his fiance, I guess it's Inez, Inez, Inez Erickson, 29, uh, he, w- he was watching her through a back door. Ramirez had entered the, couple sleep, or the couple's bedroom while they were asleep 
and he actually awakened Carnes. Well, he caught or he woke him up whenever he cocked his handgun. Well, he shot Con or Car C A R N S Carnes. Carnes, yeah. Okay, he shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Erickson. Ramirez told her that he was the Night Stalker and forced her to swear love to Satan as he beat her with his fist. Or as he beat her, he bound her fist and her wrist and so she couldn't get away. Well, after stealing what he could, Ramirez dragged Erickson to the other room before raping her. He then demanded cash, more jewelry, and made her swear to Satan like he has a lot of the other rape victims. And then he left. He just told her, he said, tell her... Ramirez told her to tell them or tell the police that the night just tell them that the night stalker was here. So she untied herself and went to the neighbor's house for help to get her injuries and to try to save her fiance. And he ended up having to go into surgery and he actually survived, which is fucking crazy getting shot in the head three times and still surviving. Yeah, that is absolutely wild, right? Like go medical science, right? <laughs> and you gotta think, man, this is in the eighties. Yeah. So it's all like, man. These dudes were fucking pros. Okay, so since he let her live after raping her and everything, Erickson was able to give a detailed description of the assailant to investigators. And the police began to get a cast of Ramirez footprints from uh, the Romero house. And the stolen Toyota was actually found on August 28th in Los Angeles. The police were able to obtain a single fingerprint from a rearview mirror. Even though Ramirez wiped the rest of the card down, he forgot to wipe down the mirror. Well, honestly, one of the big things that kept Ramirez from being uh, captured much earlier is the fact that this is taking place in the 80s, right? And it's taking place in California. California is a big fucking state. And honestly, Ramirez is kind of branching out. You know, he might take a fucking day trip to San Francisco. He might take a day trip down to Santa Monica. He might do whatever. And so... What ends up happening is, is just like in New York, where each borough has its own state police. Well, each borough also has maybe two, maybe even three municipal police departments that all act independently of one another. Well, California at this time is very similar, right? You might have two, three different police departments in Los Angeles alone working on one single case. And each one of them wants to be the one that solves it. And there's no internet yet. There's no any of that. So all of this information isn't getting placed on some, like, database where anybody can go and find it. And so you ended up with a lot of egos getting in the way of catching Ramirez because he was willing to bounce around the state the way that he was. And so they had shoe prints and fingerprint partial fingerprints and all kinds of shit going all the way back to some of his first crimes but again each independent police office was wanting to make sure like no 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 we're the ones that are going to crack this another thing about that during this time fingerprints wasn't a big thing like a lot of police stations didn't have the equipment to run fingerprints and shit like that so it took this instance of them finding the stolen toyota to get that one fingerprint and they ran it and they positively identified ramirez who was a 25 year old drifter from texas as long as like as far as everybody's concerned and he's got a long rap sheet of drug charges and like traffic stops and shit like that so i mean it was it was a fairly reasonable thing that they finally called him because it just took what like it even says it was a miracle or a near miracle they called him because the system they used to identify him was recently installed so like i said this is the time where they're trying to get everything up to date with the police stations and everything because they don't have that technology everywhere right and it officially gets put out there right they have coined him it is richard ramirez they put a name to the face they know who it is But the man basically lives as a vagrant. So he doesn't have a place of residency. He doesn't have anywhere that they can just pull up a record and go find his ass. He's bouncing around from hotels. So the best they can do is just put his picture in the newspaper, put his name in the newspaper, 
and everything else and but hope they, for the best. But they didn't release him as a murderer. They didn't release the picture of him saying he was a murderer. They said he was arrested for auto theft. Not to scare the public, because if the public knew everything that was going on with the Night Stalker, there'd be widespread chaos. But enough people were able to kind of connect the dots between Ramirez and everything else that everyone in the general public around LA kind of already knew this is who the killer was which all comes to fruition one day when he actually gets caught on a city bus of all things going to Arizona to visit his brother mm-hmm. so on August 30th 1985 he took a bus to Arizona to visit his brother Cause he wasn't aware that like this, like Ryan said several times, this was a time when social media wasn't really a thing. So, well, it wasn't a thing, but so people all across, I guess, between California and Arizona had been seeing his mugshot posted in newspapers and on the TV. And Ramirez wasn't, he wasn't watching TV. He wasn't looking at newspapers. I mean, what kind of 25 year old does? Right. And so. So he went to Arizona to visit his brother, but his brother wasn't home. So he returned to Los Angeles, and early on the morning of August 31st, the police, he walked past police officers who were basically keeping an eye out on the bus terminals in hopes of catching him, and he went to a convenience store. And that's when one of the women's, or it says elderly Hispanic woman, mm-hmm. identified him as El Matador. Yep, started screaming it at the top of her lungs, basically screaming out in Spanish, he's the killer, he's the killer, I found him. Which promptly made everybody else in the near vicinity turn in and attack Ramirez. Because, now, I'm not trying to sound racist when I say this at all so if you think that I'm trying to make some general generalization about the, you know, Hispanic people, I'm not. What I am going to say is that I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood, and I will tell you firsthand that they come together very fiercely. You don't come into a Hispanic neighborhood causing trouble without the entire neighborhood turning against you. And this man (laughs) happened to show up in a Hispanic neighborhood and got caught. As somebody that was ca- causing trouble. And the neighborhood responded with the way that I would hope that any neighborhood would. And they literally chased his punk ass across <laughs> town. Jumping fences, cutting through backyards, ch- like running around pools. And beat him within a fucking inch of his life within in the middle of the street and called the fucking cops on him the way any community should. The way it happened, he went to steal a woman's car to try to get away. And in the attempt to steal the car, he was struck in the head with a fence post. And then over a, or a group over 10 residents formed and chased Ramirez down and relentlessly beat the shit out of him. Around 8 in the morning. Police were called because there was a disturbance and they were saying that there was a fight going on. Well, the police got there real fast and so he had the shit beat out of him. Yeah, he had to so. be hospitalized temporarily before his court hearings because they beat him so bad. <laughs> Which, you know what? Good on him. Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's the story of him getting caught. And then obviously, as everyone knows... He went to trial. He was found guilty. Yeah. Sentenced to life in prison. Sat on death row until he developed cancer. But here's the crazy thing, right? And this is my whole thing with, like, what the hell is wrong with you women, right? Because from the moment he went to trial, apparently, other than the fact that his teeth were real fucked up from all the cocaine and everything else... He was a good-looking dude, supposedly, right? Like, I've seen some pictures of him. Yeah, I could see. Like, you know, he's dark and mysterious and, you know. He, he looks like the dude on the the cover of those books. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm got, talking like, about, long, like your grandma wears? Ha- yeah, he's got the long, lunches. thick hair and everything else. Like, he's a good-looking guy, right? And so all these women just come out of the woodwork and that's like, he ends up getting like 50, 60 marriage proposals. He marries one of them. He marries a woman in prison. 
And this woman is like a news anchor for some news or for some TV station out in the Midwest somewhere, and is like actively trying to like defend him that he's actually innocent and he's not this killer and everything else. But even then, there's all these other women that are like, no, 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 we know he's a fucking serial killer and everything else, but we don't care. We love him. He's so gorgeous. You know, blah, blah, blah. Hail Satan. You know, all this crap. And this motherfucker is getting ass on a regular basis until the day he fucking dies. Yeah. In in well, prison. No, no, no. She wasn't with him until the day. No, not no. his wife. Oh. But still, oh. like he's still getting all these letters. Well, he's still getting women showing up for conjugal visits and shit. Like all the way up until he gets like sick sick. He was married to a woman named Leoy, who actually ended up leaving him in two thousand nine whenever DM- DNA evidence confirmed that he had raped and murdered a nine year old the nine year old. Exactly. Yeah. And even by his death in 2013, he was already engaged to a 23-year-old writer. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Dude, women are fucked up, dude. Like, look, here's the thing. You're a pretty good dude, man. You know, you take care of your family, you work hard, you served your country and everything else. Shit, you should be a motherfucking catch, right? I'm a good guy. I fucking work hard. I take care of shit. You know, I, I'll change your fucking oil, whatever. I should be a fucking catch. But a fucking serial killer? You throw them on the fucking news and talk about they raped like 70 grandmas? All of a sudden they're getting all these fucking marriage proposals and shit like that. And it's all like, what the fuck is wrong with you women? <laughs> <laughs> like, for real though, like, why would anybody want to have anything? Like, the people that want to have something to do with him are fucked up in the head. Like, for real. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sympathetic to the fact that he was created. Right? Like, he was an innocent young man with infinite potential, could have done anything in the world. For all we know, this motherfucker could have cured cancer, right? Like, and then just because the wrong motherfuckers were around him as a child, now all of a sudden, this is his legacy. So, am I sympathetic? Sure. Do I want to fuck him? No! (laughs) (laughs) So, a psychiatrist actually talked about Ramirez... As he was made into a psychopath as opposed to being born a psychopath like most people. Saying that Ramirez is, um, I guess, like, not really multiple. Like, he had a bad personality disorder, which contributed to him becoming to what he was, as me and Ryan talked about them again in the podcast. And like we said, he was knocked unconscious several times, almost died on multiple occasions. And... He ended up developing what they say, well, like Ryan said, the epilepsy, and they believe that could be one reason why his mind went to the way it was, because all this trauma as a child, all this dealing with the shit growing up, watching people get killed. All kinds of crazy shit. Like, one thing that I failed to mention earlier, and I want everyone to keep in mind, is so when he first got diagnosed as epileptic... There were periods of time where he would go into these epileptic seizures and he would actually have, most people would call them visions, I'm going to call them nightmares. They were literally like waking nightmares, right? His brain was acting the same way it would if you were having a nightmare while you were asleep, but he was awake. And he would be visited by these creatures that were terrifying and would tell him to do all this crazy shit. And he would try his best to ignore it and everything else. And he would go to church and try and, you know, talk to his mother and his priest and everything else about the the shit that he was seeing. And almost nobody wanted to believe him. And so because of that, and because he got so used, I mean, I'm talking like multiple hundreds of occasions where he would slip into these epileptic seizures as a teenager and see these quote unquote demons that would come to him and tell him to do things, if you're already hyper-religious, if this is something that you're experiencing, and if everybody else as an adult in your life is dismissing you, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to say, okay, well, clearly there's some divine force that is making me see and hear these things, and the reason nobody else sees and hears them or acknowledges them is because it's not meant for them. That set him down this path of saying, okay, clearly these are messages from Satan. And so this is my destiny. This is what I have to accomplish. Well, Ryan, you got any final thoughts on this piece of shit? 
I don't even want to call him a piece of shit, man. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to call him a piece of shit. I, 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 I am honestly sympathetic to this dude. Like, was he horrible? Yes. Did he do horrible things? 100%. Did he deserve to die? Yes. But he was made to be that way, right? You know, he was created to be that kind of a monster. And so it's almost like one of those situations where back in the 50s, right? Like the the United States government wanted everybody to just like hate and fear communists just because they're communists and everything else. But it's like the monsters of communism were created. You know what I'm saying? Like you didn't need to hate all of them. You didn't need that hatred. Just like Ramirez didn't need all the fucked up shit that happened to him in his life. Like I said, I mean, the dude was smart, capable, well-behaved, considerate, empathetic to people when he was a child. Like, that dude probably could have grown up to cure cancer. Yeah. And it just, a fucking happenstance that enough fucked up shit got thrown at him to create the monster that a he became. A lot of fucked up shit. Yeah. It's just, it's really fucking sad, you know? It's not like a John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer where it's like, they were fine. You know, they could have gone the rest of their lives and not been fucked up like that. There was not really a reason for them to be terrible human beings the way they were. Ramirez got created, man. Yeah. I guess I understand where you're coming from, but... Still a piece of shit. Yeah, he's still a piece of shit. <laughs> but I'm just saying I'm sympathetic to what kind of a piece of shit he was because it's like that could have happened to any, me or you. Yeah. You know? Neither one of us were born a psychopath, but given the same things that happened to him, God knows how we would have ended up. Yeah. So all I'm saying is everybody out there in podcast land, if you have young children... If you're a, a, a young or expecting mother, if you're a young or expecting father, and you have children that aren't old enough yet to start experiencing these things in life, you know what? If you got a cousin, a, a brother, a fucking nephew that's a piece of shit, and you're just kind of keeping them around because they're family, and you feel guilty if you were to cut them off and everything else, cut them the fuck off. If they're a piece of shit then they're a piece of shit. Let them the fuck go. People like that can only fuck up you and your kids and everybody else. Just because somebody is family doesn't mean you owe them a fucking thing. I have people that are not blood to me in any shape or form that I would go to hell for them because they're decent human beings and I respect them over People that are my fucking blood relatives that are pieces of fucking shit. Just protect yourself. Protect your fucking children. Remember, monsters can be created whether you're paying attention or not. Yeah, this is a perfect example of that. But anyways, thank y'all for joining the Brology Podcast this week. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, FarmersOnly.com, Christian Mingle. J-Date. That's a Jewish dating site. Well, what's uh grinder? Grinder, yeah. <laughs> but which grinder? The 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 gay grinder where you meet up for random hookups, or like the other grinder where like single men can meet up to share, you know, sandwiches. There's a grinder for that. I mean, according to Family Guy, bro, we need to go there. Right, where you just show up <laughs> and someone's all like, "Hey, man, have you ever had a pastrami a pastrami hero with horseradish? Nah, bro." And then you just share a sandwich with a dude. <laughs> Free food. Well, I mean, obviously, you got to reciprocate on the next date, right? You got to bring them a sandwich. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Touche, touche. But yeah, make sure to drop us a five star rating. It'd be greatly appreciated. We're trying to get them numbers up some so we can release some t shirts and some right. stickers and some fucking dildos that say fucking the Broology podcast down the side of it. I'll cross the balls. But, um,. <laughs> Yeah, leave us five-star ratings, uh, leave us reviews, share us to your friends and family. Please join us on our Patreon at Brolic Podcast at Patreon. Join us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Tinder. Fucking Instagram, Twitter, you know, um, the message board that's stapled to John's mom's ass. Uh, yeah, oh, by the way, we had to change it. It, it used to be on, like, loose-leaf paper, but we ended up having to change it 
to like the thicker, um, what's it called? The thicker paper. You know what I'm talking about? Like fucking yeah, like paper. cardboard, man. You know, yeah. like activity board. Because the problem was she was sweating so much it would ruin the paper, and then you couldn't write on the paper. So we just had to find an alternative for that. And if the paper's not there, just write on her in Sharpie. I mean, it might take us six months to find it, but we'll get back to you whenever we do. Ladies.